0: Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to church on what is, I guess, the first day of winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's here. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm excited. I'm excited to to just continue walking through the uh, the scripture, um, specifically here as we as we move into. Thank you. Uh, as we move into. Second Timothy. Hey Art, can we turn can we turn my gain or something down a little bit? I feel like I'm a little I'm a little hot. Am I good? Thank thank yeah, maybe yeah, okay. that's probably good. Okay, so. Uh, we're going to move into Second Timothy chapter 3. We're going to just jump right into the scripture, right into the text. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and just open them there. Uh, and let me just give you just a little bit of context that I think is important for us as we move into uh, this situation that Paul is about to address. And so uh, Paul is writing to one of his, like, most beloved, closest disciples, the guy that he refers to as a spiritual son, uh, a guy by the name of Timothy. And he's writing Timothy uh, while Timothy is pastoring and leading the church in Ephesus. And that's significant because that is a church that Paul himself planted. So in Acts chapter 18, chapter 19, Paul goes and he, he plants the church in Ephesus the, uh, for the Ephesians, the Ephesians people. Uh, and, and, and he spends, like, it's not just like he shows up and then leaves the next day. He spends a significant portion of his time in ministry there. We're talking years That's important because as we dive into text and scripture, Uh, Paul would have been acutely aware of the dynamics of the church. He would have known the people. He would have known their names, their faces, their situations. These these letters that we're reading, the epistles, uh, they're not written in a vacuum. And so it's not like Paul just sat down and said, I'm just going to write about some random things, and I'm going to send them on their way. Paul would have had conversation and dialogue with Timothy. Timothy would have asked Paul questions. He would have been asking for prayer requests. Hey, I've got this situation, this issue. I'm dealing with this here. And Paul would Would have sat down And he would have started to address those issues They're not written in a vacuum One of the most difficult things that we as scholars Bible scholars And you all are Bible scholars Whether you realize it or not One of the most difficult challenges that we have Is trying to insert ourselves into a culture That existed 2,000 years ago In a situation that really In a lot of ways We only have one side of the story That's challenging But it's also kind of exciting When we step back and we read scripture Interpreting scripture through scripture Taking the different pieces and trying to kind of piece it together And then all of a sudden because God is faithful And the Holy Spirit moves We begin to see something that's like Oh, now I get it I had kind of one of those encounters this week That's been kind of the theme of late Uh, It's funny how God works that way, like you drive and jump into scripture, you dive into scripture, and you're expecting to read and, and kind of be moved in one direction, and God takes you to a completely different place. So Paul, in 2 Timothy, it's his last recorded letter, at least the last letter that we have record of. And we begin to pick up on some of that. Like Paul always writes with passion and he always writes with heart, but there's something about this particular letter that's like, he knew the end was near. He knew his journey on this side of eternity was coming to an end. And so there's almost a greater fervency in the way that he writes. And so he begins in chapter three, verse one, says this, but mark this. So, so write this down. Pay attention to this. This is important. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, I'm not entirely sure what Timothy was expecting to read when he opened up this letter from Paul, uh, but my gut tells me this would have been like a gut punch, right? Because Paul's encouraging him up until this point. He, he's given him some kind of uplifting, some encouragement, and then all of a sudden, hey, hey by the way, write this down— uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, there's lots of interpretations as to what the last days is implying. And so is is Paul writing about something that has yet to happen, right? Like we start thinking about last days, we're thinking about, okay, like like before Jesus comes, like like the moments leading up to Jesus' arrival, like his second coming, is that what he's referring to? Or is maybe this something that, 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 that... Timothy would have experienced in his specific ministry, which would be in our past. There's lots of debates. Lots of people much smarter than me have written on this topic, but the theory that makes the most sense to me is when we begin to to, to think about what the last days is, we talk about when Jesus ascended to heaven and the moment that he returns. The period in between would be considered the last days, which means that Timothy was Ministering in the last days Which means that you and I Are living in the last days Now that's not to say that things aren't going to ramp up And and get worse We're going to start seeing more signs That's not what I'm saying But but I think that we can take this Based on how the word last days Or the phrase last days is used In other parts of the New Testament Acts chapter 2 specifically Right? Peter talks about the um, In the last days What's going to happen? I think we could take this to say, okay, that, that maybe, maybe we would have this type of encounter in our lifetime, our ministry, in our churches, in our lives. But mark this, he said, there will be terrible times in the last days. How terrible, you might ask. Well, Paul tells Timothy, people will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Ugh. I, hmm. Hmm. So, in four short verses, Paul lists 18 or 19 characteristics of what Timothy might expect, and subsequently, us, the church, might expect. In the last days, and he ends with uh, have nothing to do with such people. I'll I'll come back to that. There there is a lot of tension in that last verse for me, and, and I'll explain why here in a second. But he he begins to to paint this picture on what humanity is going to be like in the last days. Now I I struggle with the. Is this humanity inside of church? Is this humanity outside of church? Are these people uh, that that, that we should be ministering to? Are these people that we have ministered to and they have rejected the gospel? There's, There's lots of at least unknowns and uncertainties in this text for me that I've not quite vetted out yet. But what I think is interesting about this particular passage is I believe it paints a picture of what the heart looks like without Christ or after a rejection of him. So there's a there's a a greater issue at play here. What Paul is writing about is symptoms of a far greater disease and condition. Again, you you interpret scripture through scripture, and you begin to kind of piece things together. And it was fascinating when I was reading about. Um, This idea of the the church and their struggles Specifically the church in ephesus and and we as a as a small group Last week two weeks ago. We started this study through the book of revelation And and I was reminded of jesus's words He actually had some specific things to say to the church in ephesus at the end of time So this vision that he gives john uh, He he talks about seven particular churches Uh, One of them is the church that paul is writing to here and here's what john wrote that Jesus said about the church that Paul is writing to Timothy about. You tracking with me? He says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. These words, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands out. Just real quick, you and I are going to spend some significant time together after the first of the year going through the book of Revelation. We're going to talk about the symbolism. We're going to talk about the imagery. It's going to be awesome and epic, but don't get hung up in it uh, just just yet. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Things are going good. Church of Ephesus seems to be okay. Yet, hmm, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, Jesus said. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. We begin to talk about the condition of the church or the people or humanity in the last days. And we look specifically at this almost like case study that is the church at Ephesus. There seems to be something going on that's causing Jesus to calling them to repent. There seems to be something that's happened that's going to cause all of these characteristic and attributes to play out where humanity is is living a life that, that certainly isn't conducive to what Jesus taught. What is it? This story, again, oversimplifying, is simply one of misplaced love. This is a story of misplaced love. Jesus is reminding the church in Ephesus, hey, go back to what you used to do. You have forgotten your first love. You have forgotten what's important. Paul is saying, hey, listen, like you, you, you are loving things that aren't of me. You are loving yourself. You are not loving me. And hey, that's going to cause all these things to follow. Your love is misplaced. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and I, um, I feel somewhat like a broken record, but I think if Jesus says something is the, the first and greatest commandment, it's probably okay to say it over and over again. I don't know. But Jesus said in Matthew, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So so Jesus is sitting with people. He's ministering to them. And and, and I think they're struggling. Like there's hundreds of laws and rules and regulations. It's too much to keep track of. And they want to know, what's it going to take to follow you, Jesus? What is it going to take for me to be a disciple of yours? How How do I do what you need me to do? This seems so difficult and so hard. He says, hey, I'm going to simplify it for you. It's really easy I just need you to love God with All your heart and All your soul And all your mind And if you can do that Then what you're going to find is you're going to be able to love people And everything that I'm going to ask you to do Hangs on those two things It's really that simple Love God Love people but we get here, we get into 2 Timothy, and that doesn't seem to be the case. It doesn't seem to be the case. Now, again, first glance, this just looks like a list of things that Paul is writing that, that we would skim across. And, and immediately when we, we list all those attributes and characteristics, we start thinking of the names of people who fit those attributes and characteristics, right? Like when we, we think of people who love money, people who are greedy, people who are slanderous, people who are rash. Like we're like... <laughs> That's them, right? There's there's a greater, I think, story in play here. And if you'll notice, you'll notice the, the first claim of humanity. So people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of themselves. It's taken the thing that Jesus had asked him to, them to do. The one thing. Love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Well, people have shifted from that, and when they shift from that, if you're not looking upward where you're looking typically, it's inward. They're looking in the mirror instead of God's word. And when you look in the mirror instead of God's word, there are consequences. Things begin to unravel at a rapid pace. That's why the prophet Jeremiah said, the heart above all things is what? Deceitful. Jesus knew what we were capable of. And that's why I think he was very specific in his command to us to love God with everything we have and all that we are. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, I, I need you just to love God as much as you can. Like just, yeah, love God. Know the rules, kind of know the regulations, make sure you can dot your T's and cross your I's, but just, yeah, just it says love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind because when you don't love him with everything you are and all that you have it unravels the foundation crumbles love is then misplaced you begin loving things that are of this world in this world so what happens when love is misplaced what happens well, you can work your way through this list that Paul gives us, right? When love is misplaced, it leads to misaligned priorities. Misaligned priorities. Take, back, or take a look again at what Paul is saying, the list of things that happens when you love yourself. You have a love of money. Your priority is shifted. You become boastful, prideful. Your behavior becomes abusive. You have a disregard of... For family Misplaced love leads to misaligned priorities. It doesn't stop there. When your priorities are misaligned because your love is misplaced, guess what happens? Keep working your way down the list. There's a hardening of the heart. Again, Paul writes, people are ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. You see the progression here? Loving themselves. Priorities misaligned. When my priorities are misaligned, my heart becomes hardened. And when my heart becomes hardened, guess how I behave? In a way that doesn't honor Christ. Hardened heart leads to villainous, villainous behavior. It's the only word I could come up with that comes close to articulating what Paul is saying here. Slanderous people. People with no self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of good. Treacherous. Rash. Conceited. Misplaced love leads to misaligned priorities. You progress. Misaligned priorities leads to a hardening of one's heart. Hardening of one's heart. One's heart leads to villainous, evil, The reality of life on this side of eternity. And the thing that, that God is asking us to do. And we, 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 we read this, like, man, like, I don't want to become this. I don't want to be a part of this. Paul says people, doesn't say who, doesn't say in the church, out of the church. He doesn't say me. He doesn't say you. He just says people. And I read that as a warning. I'm like, okay, God, I don't want any part of that. Help me avoid that in my life. Help me not to become that. Everything, everything falls apart when humanity loves themselves more than God. And really, you could put anything here and it would be true. Insert anything here and that statement is still true. Humanity falls apart when you love hunting more than God. When you love your kids more than God. Now think about that when you love your spouse more than God when you love the things of this world more than God everything begins to crumble and it's a house built on sinking sand everything everything all that we are and everything that he is calling us to be resides in our ability and willingness to love God more than we love anything else. He doesn't stop there. I think verse five for me was the was the most. Uh, I don't know gut is the word. It certainly caused some emotions inside of me that that I'm I'm still not sure I'm done processing yet. But he says this about these people that that the people who who meet all of these different characteristics and attributes, he says that they they have a form of godliness denying its power. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Have nothing to do with such people. We get, begin to see a picture of what life might be like living with Guess, retaining ownership of one's heart you begin to act a certain way without actually being a certain way you've heard the saying like if it, if it walks like a duck sounds like a duck looks like a duck maybe it's a duck right well Paul's saying that's that's not the case here Jesus battled this over and over and over again in his ministry. He was always battling a group of people that really looked the part, the Pharisees. They checked all the boxes. But when it came down to it, they weren't the thing that they were claiming to be. Almost like an imposter syndrome. The thing about being an imposter is it's just a matter of time before you're caught, before the truth comes out. I uh, I did a different illustration first service, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this, and and we'll see we'll see how it goes. We we spend we spend a ton of our time in this part of the country this time of year trying to be something that we're not. Some of us in the room. Me, I, mean, I spend a ton of time this time of year in this part of the country trying to be something that I'm not. So it goes something like this. I, I, I dress up, right? And I put, on, I put on camouflage. And I spray spray that makes me smell like something I'm not. And uh, sometimes I put face paint on. Right? I've grown this incredibly masculine beard, right? That you guys are all jealous No Right Because I I want When I'm in the woods I want an elk To think that I am one of them And I even go as far As to try to to sound like them And I've been practicing this So let's see what (whistles) Hunters in the room Was that acceptable Anything Lots of work. I got made fun of last year for using, um, I can't say the name of them, because it's inappropriate, but, but squeeze calls. Uh, so so, so but, but here's what happens. No matter how good I am at this, no matter how much I look the part, no matter how much camouflage, no matter how much camouflage I wear, face paint, um, scent protector or eliminator, the moment, by the grace of God, an elk walks into my presence, and he sees me or she sees me, what's going to happen? Busted. Because you can only go so far being an imposter. And it's just a matter of time before the thing that you are pretending to be is going to realize that you're not what you are claiming you are. And so when you don't take care of the heart, When your love is misplaced, it's just a matter of time. doesn't matter how good you are before that greed comes through. When the love is misplaced and misallocated, it's just a matter of time before you spout off in anger or pride. When love is misplaced, it's just a matter of time before the rashness and the treachery comes out. And what Paul is warning Timothy to be on the lookout for are those who are pretending. He says says to avoid them, which again, I, I, I struggled with. I did a ton of research on that particular sentence because everything I know about Jesus, everything I know about Jesus would say that, well, he was with everybody. So what is Paul asking us to do? Think the fear that Paul had for Timothy. Again, based on my study. Is that these weren't men and women who had never heard the gospel and they needed to hear the truth. These were people who knew better. These were people who heard about the hope of Jesus Christ through the ministry that Timothy and Paul had established. These are people who had been very aware of the power of the Holy Spirit, but for whatever reason, they they had rejected it in them. And that's dangerous. We, we're doing... Uh, the book study. We're doing a book study. Uh, the, not In It to Win It. It's Andy Stanley's book that we're doing on Wednesday. And we, we're just wrapping it up. We have one more week where we're just going to get together and pray. But, but one of the quotes that, that I came across in that book, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was that his fear, and while I think, why I think Paul is saying what he's saying, is, is his fear is that Stanley's fear is that people are going to come into the church and they're going to realize after reading the gospel (laughs) that the people who claim to be followers of Christ have rejected Christ entirely based on their actions, their behaviors, and and, and the submission of their heart. I think that's why this is so dangerous and that's, that's the warning for us. I can I can think of several times in my life when when I have met all or some of the the requirements that their characteristics that Paul listed. So I, I I am not innocent of this at all, and I suspect that probably you have struggled with some of this from time to time too. I think the hope that we have in this warning and, and where I want us to take this is that it's. It's not too late. These characteristics are things that define you and your life and your personality. Then odds are you are holding on to all or a portion of your heart. For whatever reason, you've not given it fully over to Jesus Christ. Well, I'm here to tell you it's not too late. He wants it. He wants all of it. And he appreciates the effort that we put in He loves that we're dressing the part That, that, that we're, we're, we're looking like we're supposed to look but, but that's not why he came He came to make us a new creation He says the old is gone And he says I'll do it I'll recreate you from the inside out I will change you in a way that you have never been changed. All you have to do, it's really simple, is love me with everything you are and all that you have. And that's a hard that's a hard ask at times. I get that. I think he helps us with that too. If we're willing to say, okay, not entirely sure how this is going to work. But I know it needs to happen. So come, Holy Spirit. Come. Wreck me. Take my heart. It's yours. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just, again, we come to you just... I am am thankful. That's probably an understatement. I'm eternally grateful for your word. The the truth that, that sometimes pierces like a knife. God, help us be men and women who have fully handed over our hearts to you. Help us not be imposters or actors or pretenders. Help us be genuinely changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, if there are folks in this room who are wrestling with this message, much like I have, my my prayer is that today would be the day where they say, I am yours, wholly and totally and fully. That they would would cry out to you and surrender. That they would begin to love you more than everything else in, in their lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you for not giving up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship again together.